You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. We find ourselves once again in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are in the now the final chapter, and we're going to be looking at the first two verses today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Um, as you're turning there, let me give you... Uh, 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 kind of a summary of what's coming up in the next coming uh, weeks. We have four weeks left in uh, the book of First uh, Timothy, uh, four sermons left. And then we'll be going into a smaller series, just a one-month series to finish out the summer uh, on what we believe and uh, what we should be devoted to as a church. We're going to be talking about the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to be talking about uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, and uh, what they're devoted to in the, in the early church, and then we're going to finish with what our mission is, and that is to make disciples. But today, uh, we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and these two verses, you will see, uh, prove once again that the Bible is so very relevant. Uh, today, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to be right up in your face, okay? Uh, he is not going to be social distancing, okay? He's going to get right up in your face, and he is going to, uh, I hope, through the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, convict you as he talks about work and how we should be relating to those who are in positions of authority over us in our various uh, workplaces. And so, uh, most of the letter up to this point, First Timothy has really been about how the church is to conduct themselves inside the walls of the church. And now he's going to talk about how should you conduct yourself outside of the walls of this church, namely when you are in your various uh, secular uh, employments. My prayer is that you will indeed listen, that you will indeed let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart, and that you would then say, how then should I now live in light of what I've just learned today. So once again, our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. This is the very word of God. It says this, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather... They must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. This ends the reading of God's word. Uh, we cannot understand this. We cannot apply it unless the Holy Spirit actually comes uh, and applies it to our hearts. So let's turn to him right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask. Um, we know that the enemy is alive and well and that the enemy um, would love to bring a thousand different distractions into our life right now and so we just pray against that. Uh, we pray that we would not be looking at others and saying they need to hear this uh, but that we would be looking at ourselves and saying this is what I need to hear. I pray God that I would speak your truth today and I pray that we would be changed as a result of what we look at uh, today and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Work ethic is so very important. The reason that is, is important because your work ethic really develops a reputation, either a good reputation or a bad reputation. If you have a good work, if you have a bad work ethic and you claim to be a Christian, then that reflects poorly on your ultimate master, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The converse is also truth. If you is, is also true if you have a good work ethic and claim to be a Christian, that also reflects on your master Jesus. In my life, I have uh, seen and experienced both good and bad work ethic in both myself and in others. Uh, I remember when I was in pharmacy school, uh, there was this slogan that was constantly going around, and the slogan was this, C equals RPH. C equals RPH. C meant the letter grade, which is barely passing, and it meant if you just barely pass, you are still a pharmacist, which is a registered pharmacist. That's what RPH meant. As a really, really horrible work ethic, right? Especially for someone going into the medical profession, right? Hey, I just got by. I'll be serving you today, right? I mean, it's, it's a very poor work ethic, but that's what many people carried along with them. I remember when I was serving in a church in um, uh, another state, and we would go on these mission trips uh, every year, and uh, these mission trips would entitle, entail many different things. You'd have a VBS where you'd give instruction, and then there was also a, a work project that would go on, and there was a, a man who would lead the work projects, and he was a contractor, uh, and we would do various things, uh, fixing up people's houses, maybe putting a deck on someone's house. And I remember one particular year, that's what we were doing, is putting a deck. And, and at the end of the week, we had done, a, it was a, a subpar job uh, that was done. And I remember the leader, uh, who I said was a contractor, said, well, it looks good from where I live. And that really, really made me sad. Because I'm thinking, you would not accept this in your own house. You would have made the corrections but it looks good from where you live, which means that I can walk away from this and I never have to see it again. That is not an attitude that is honoring to God. I remember in my job as a pharmacist, there were times, there were periods when I put my all, all into it. Uh, and then there were other times where I just did the bare minimum. When I would do the bare minimum, my work would decrease and my complaining about the bosses would increase uh, as I was... Uh, not doing what God was calling me to do. That was in direct contrast to a young pharmacist I remember working with, which he just put me to shame. This guy was all about the company. He was all about increasing the profits of the company, all about making the, the, um, uh, him as the face of the company, making them look good. And he put his all into it, going above and beyond what he was even asked to do. Several years ago, I was talking with a young teacher, and I remember him saying to me uh, that I just do the bare minimum. I just do what's uh, required of me at school, and then I, I, I don't do what I'm supposed to at home. I just I do the bare minimum. And he was almost wearing it as a badge of honor, and it made me sad. That is in contrast with many uh, teachers that I know that put their all into it. That, yes, their job is hard, but then they're going the extra mile uh, to make sure that the students do get this, that they're communicating with the parents to make sure if their kids are falling behind. That is the proper work ethic our passage today addresses our work ethic and how we relate to those who are in positions of authority over us. And even though we're going to focus in on work, this can also apply to any um, uh, relationship where someone is in a position of authority over you, all the way down to how children relate to their parents as well. Okay, but we're going to talk about uh, how we relate to our employers. Now, 
before we jump into this text, there is a word, a controversial word that we need to address in the text that you may or may not have noticed, and that is the word bond servants. And I don't want to spend much time here because that's not the focus of this passage, but in our day and age uh, where this concept is really charged um, and, uh, and a lot of people you know, will not say they don't believe in the Bible because of what it talks about regarding slavery. But um, the reason I need to address this is because the New American Standard Bible and the New International Version of the Bible both translate this word bondservant as slaves or as slavery. Okay, and anytime you hear slave or slavery, immediately you're thinking negative connotations because what comes into your mind is the American slave trade, which took place uh, between, you know, 1609 and 1863. And we think about the lasting effects right down to the present day about what that meant. But I want to tell you that this, when Paul is talking about slavery here, that is not the kind of slavery that he's talking about. The American slave trade, uh, to, uh, to begin with, began with kidnapping. And then it usually ended with the cruel treatment and, in a lot of cases, the death of the slaves. And although I'm not going to deny that there was cruelty towards slaves in both the Old and New Testament times, for the most part, slavery looked a lot different then than it, does, than it did in, in our country. Um, like I said, I can't take the time to go into all of this, uh, but slaves in the Old and the New Testament both had rights. They both had rights. And if you look actually at the Old Testament, um, you would see in the law that there are these, these rights uh, that are surrounding uh, the, uh, uh, how someone is to treat their slaves, protecting them. Whereas in the American slave trade, these people were ripped from their homes and then they were forced into service. In the Old Testament times, a person could actually sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. They could sell themselves into to slavery. Yes, uh, there were slaves uh, that were uh, captured in times of war, right? That were forced into servitude, if you will. That, yes, that happens. Um, how to address that? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm never going to give a satisfactory answer. Here's what I will say. If they were captured by the people of God, the first thing uh, to note is that their lives were spared. They were not put to death. The second thing that I would want you to realize is this, is that the people of God were also referred to as slaves. You know that they were in the land of Egypt for 400 years in cruel slavery, okay? And then they were delivered from that. But then were they just told to go free? No, what happened is that there was a transfer of ownership. They were transferred from the ownership of cruel Pharaoh into the ownership of God now. They had a new master. And this new master was a benevolent master who loved them and was all about their flourishing. And that's what he was to do. So ideally, this is what should have happened. And it, I know it didn't always happen. But if someone who was a Hebrew was treating one of their slaves just like God had treated them, then that slave would have every opportunity to flourish and not be oppressed. And also, here's the most important thing, is that whereas that person was a, a, a part of a pagan culture, now they would be exposed to the true God of Israel and the worship of him as well. And so, once again, I'm not trying to justify any kind of uh, cruel slavery um, or, or how people were treated, uh, 
but just trying to take it in perspective. John MacArthur uh, gave the following observations regarding this passage. He said this, quote, slavery was an integral social component of the Greco-Roman world in the first century. Slaves were the employees who did the work of their wealthy masters. It was a widespread scheme of employment. In fact, the entire economic structure of the Roman Empire depended on it. To understand slavery, believers today must strip away their preconceived notion of it. Those uh, notions are drawn largely from the racial slavery of the pre-Civil War American South, which bears only some resemblance of the slavery in the first century Roman Empire, end quote. Now, I know, I know that when you make a statement like that, it seems like you're trying to justify something that is not uh, justifiable, and I am not uh, trying to do that. And all the old, although the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about slavery, I don't see them as ever, ever condoning the cruel treatment of slaves, uh, nor of kidnapping. In fact, kidnapping was a capital offense in Israel, punishable by death. All right, so that's all I want to say right now about that. I know that there are a lot of questions about that, and that's why I always want to make myself available uh, to talk about uh, these things, because I know that you're going to get questions about those. So please call me, you know, email me, and we can talk about that. I want to spend the majority of our time talking about what the point of this passage is. Now, anytime you do good Bible study, okay, the first thing that you want to do is you want to read the passage all right, and when you're reading the passage, you have to have in your mind that, okay, this was written at least two to 4,000 years before I even came on the scene. Is this relevant to me at all? So as you read the passage, what you want to do is you want to start to look at what are some of the similarities and dissimilarities between me and the original audience? What would they have heard then? What am I hearing now? Are, and are there any overarching principles that would apply to them then and that apply to me now. And I think that when you do that, what you would see is that the spirit and the message of this passage are crystal clear. And I believe that the message is this, that if you are in any kind of subordinate relationship regarding labor, you must show honor to your master, or let's bring it into the 21st century, you must show honor, all honor, to your employer, okay? You are commanded to do that. Now there is a sense, and I want to be careful with the, the language I use, there is a sense that we are all forced to work, right? We're all forced into working. If you think about it back then, um, the, most of the people when they're coming out of the land of Egypt as they're settling in the promised land, they were self-employed. They either had a farm where they had crops uh, and they could uh, grow those and then sell them, or they had animals that they could use and that they could sell, or, or they had some kind of a skill where they could make clothing, or they could make pottery, and then they would sell that. But there were times when the businesses would fail, right? The crops, uh, the locusts would come through and wipe out their crop, and the bills would start to, they still had to pay their family, but they had no means to do that. So they would have to go then and say, hey, you who make pottery, I've never done it. Can you teach me how to do that so that I can work and pay off my bills? I'm going to, in the words of the Old Testament, sell myself into slavery to you so that I can pay off my bills. And so that they have to do that. And so there's a sense that unless you own your own business, there's a sense in that we all do that, right? We go to this place of employment and say, hey, I got bills. I need to feed myself. Can I work for you so that I can make some money to feed my family? Okay, so um, 
there's, uh, we're all forced, in a sense, to work. But I also know that there can be very, very difficult situations in employment. Over the years, I've talked with many, many people um, who have shared with me that they are in very difficult uh, positions where they feel oppressed by their bosses, uh, where they feel that they are being treated unfairly day after day, week after week, month after month. And I know that the tendency is when they start to complain is for someone to just say, well, then get a new job, right? Get a different job, <laughs> right? It's as simple as that. But it's really not as simple as that. Um, there's not always opportunities. There's not always a bunch of jobs that are open uh, in that field that will actually uh, pay for uh, the bills, that will actually support them. Okay, so we need to be careful about doing that. Uh, finding another job for them might not be as easy as it sounds. And for that reason, they continue, they will continue in an employment situation under a boss that is difficult to work with, that is condescending, and that is even unreasonable at times. And they continue in those positions of employment because they have to pay the bills, right? They have to feed their families, and there's no other jobs that are available at the time. Which is why it makes this passage before us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, all the more difficult, right? Because the tendency for us in those situations is to complain about our jobs, right? To complain about our bosses or our supervisors, uh, to, to slander them, to make sure that all of our friends and family just know how rude or how cruel they are or, or how difficult they are to work under. But here Paul, once again, under the inspiration of the very Holy Spirit of God, God himself, commands this, let all who are under the yoke as a bondservant regard their own masters as worthy of some honor. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh, I misquoted it. As worthy of what? All honor. You can't mean that, right? Um, well, when you look at the word master and what that means, the word master actually means one who possesses supreme authority. Okay? And so those of you who work, uh, you know that uh, this is often the case with your boss, right? They are the ones who call all the shots. They're the ones who determine what your pay will be. They determine what your vacation time will be and when you, will, when you can go on that vacation. Uh, they determine what your job responsibilities are. Uh, they determine everything. And here's the thing, if you don't like them, then they say, then you can do what? You can walk, right? You can go find another job. They carry all the weight. Regarding these people, you as an employer must regard them as worthy of all honor. You must hold these people as deserving all respect, all reverence, all esteem. For those who have great bosses, you're thinking, no problem, do this all day, every day. Love it. I give them honor. Uh, I, I love it. For those who are in different situations, you're thinking, just slow down. You don't know my boss. You don't know how she is. Here's what she did this week. Here's what she did last week. You, no, 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 no. You don't know my boss. But what I want you to notice here, and this is very difficult, right, is that Paul does not offer any qualifiers, okay? Paul does not say, show them all honor, 
unless they're really difficult. There's no little note there that says unless this is the situation. And if you actually look at the rest of the Bible, you will see that because very often God will give these very, very difficult commands without any qualifiers. Let me just give you a few of those. Remember Hagar in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Hagar was an Egyptian slave. She was an Egyptian handmaiden to Sarah. And her relationship with Sarah, her master, became very, very oppressive. Very oppressive. And I'm not giving Sarah a pass because Sarah uh, was probably very difficult to live with. And so what does Hagar do? Hagar picks up everything she can and she flees. She gets out of there. And then God himself meets her and says, Hagar, you need to go back. Oh, no, 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 you don't know. No, Hagar, you need to go back and you need to submit to Sarah. That's not easy. But if you read the whole story, it's beautiful because at one time God reveals himself to Hagar, this Egyptian slave. He reveals himself to her as the God who sees, right? Which is saying, Hagar, I see it all. I saw how Sarah treated you. I know that that's not right. I see it all. I'm still telling you to go back and submit to her. I see. I see what's going on. Nothing. But did you, yes, I saw that too. And I know the motivation. And I know what you go through every day. There were no qualifiers there. Another example is if you were to look at Romans chapter 13, where God says, submit to governing authorities. Submit to those who are in positions of authority over you. He does not say, unless they're ignorant right? He does not say unless they're democratic or unless they're republican, right? He doesn't say that. He says submit to governing authorities. Now I will quickly say that if your governing authorities ever ask you to do something in clear violation of the law of God, that's when you stop submitting and you say we will obey God rather than men. But let's clarify this, okay? All right? Asking you to pay taxes is not a violation of the law of God, okay? Asking you to abide by building codes is not a violation of the law of God. Asking you to go no faster than 65 miles an hour, now I'm getting personal, right? 65 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone is not a violation of the law of God, right? We are to submit to our governing authorities. Finally, another one, uh, Paul's command to wives in Ephesians 5 uh, regarding submission. Submit to your own husbands. There are no qualifiers regarding that, unless they're real jerks, right? There's no qualifiers there. Now, these are difficult commands, but they all come with reasons. They all come with reasons regarding uh, Paul's command to submit to governing authorities. In Romans chapter 13, he gives the following reason. He says this, for he is God's servant for your good. And he goes on to say, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Regarding wives being submissive to their husbands, uh, Paul basically says the reason is, is because this is what God's order is. And then he goes on to uh, imply that as the husband is, is, is um, uh, treating his wife as Christ does the church, then there is this sanctifying effect where the wife becomes more and more like Christ. Peter adds a little bit more to this uh, 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 command for wives to submit to their husbands. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the, uh, so that even if 
some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectable and pure conduct. I see that there's an evangelistic aspect here. You may have an unbelieving husband. Here's what you do. You submit as to the Lord and you let God deal with that. And I believe that that's one of the same reasons here that Paul is giving here in our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6 regarding employees uh, in regard to their bosses and, and, telling, uh, and uh, holding up them up and giving them all honor. He says this, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You do this, I know it's difficult, but ultimately so that God is lifted up, so that his teaching is not undermined by the way that you conduct yourself. Here is why this is so very difficult for us, okay? Because very often, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, very often, even though you may not say it, your attitude every day is it's all about me. It's all about me. You know, this came up so much during this week in my studies and even, you know, as I evaluated myself that I wanted to get a shirt that said, it's not about me. It's not about me. But it very is. Why do we get mad at people? Because they violate me, right? They violate my rights or they violate what I want to do. I want to go in this direction and you don't want to do that. And so we start to get mad at people because ultimately, whether you want to admit it or not, it's all about you. It's all about me. I am the center of this universe. But that's not the truth. The truth is that it's not about you. It's all about God. It is all about God. And I'm going to tell you what, the sooner that we get that, the better off we'll be. The sooner that you get that it's all about God and not about you, the more peace you will have in your life. The sooner that you realize that it's all about God and not about you, the sooner that you, you will realize that you have a greater purpose in this life, a greater mission in this life. Do you realize that God has created each and every one of us in a special and unique way? And then God has taken each of those uh, unique people and placed them in a unique situation, a unique place of employment, a unique neighborhood, a unique family. He has placed you there for a purpose. Those people who work at um, uh, UTMB or go to school there, they have access to people that I will never have access to. People, if, if someone, uh, I have friends that work at uh, American National, they have access to those people that I do not have access to. You are, God has placed you there for a reason. The primary reason that God has placed you there is to glorify him. Is to glorify him and to point others to him. That is why God has placed you there. But very often we're so busy complaining about our circumstances that we forget it's all about God. And we forget that God may be working something very life-changing in us and in those that come in contact with us. When we complain or don't put our all into our work, when we don't give our bosses the honor that is due to them, then we bring reproach on the name of Christ. And unfortunately, if we're honest with ourselves, we as Christians do this more often than we would like to admit. You and I are to work in such a way Listen to this. You and I as Christians are to work in such a way that we are the best employees. That's what the way that we're to work. We're to work in such a way that our boss could set us forth as an example of what a model employee is. 
You need to go to them and look at them. That's what I am looking for in an employee. They should be able to point to us. We don't do it ultimately for personal, uh, for, you know, personal recognition. That's not why we do it. And we don't even do it, listen to this, we don't even do it so that we don't lose our jobs, right? I'm just going to, I'm just performing because I don't want to lose my job. No, ultimately, we do it for the glory of God and in, in anticipation that one day, maybe, just maybe, God will work in the hearts of those that we are working with and for and that he'll bring them to him. They may one day, wouldn't it be wonderful, and I don't know if this will happen, but one day if your boss, just maybe if you're in a cruel working situation, oppressive working situation, where your boss gripped by the power of God or, or whatever, just looked at your circumstance and said, oh, why did you put up with that? Man, this is the way I treated you. How, how did you endure? And we can look at them and say, because ultimately I realized that I wasn't working for you. I was working for God. It wasn't about you. It was about God. And God told me that no matter what circumstance I am I'm in, I have certain commands that I must obey. And he told me that I needed to show you honor. And so that's what I tried to do to the best of my ability. That's why I did it. I was doing it for God. If we really took this command seriously, then I believe that every employer of every company in the world would say this. Every time I hire a Christian, they're the best employee. Every Christian I've ever hired has been the best employee. I would hire a Christian in a second. And they might even say, you know what? They're not even the most skilled at their job all the time. They're not even the most competent. They're not uh, even uh, the smartest at their job, but they bring something to this company that no one else brings. And I would hire them in a heartbeat. That's what should be said of every person who is a Christian working in a job. Your employer should be able to say that about you. It should be noticeable. Paul goes on in verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and he says this, those uh, who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are, are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers <clears throat> and beloved. We don't need to say much about this. This is just saying this. If you happen to have a Christian boss, don't abuse that. Don't ever have the attitude as, I don't have to work as hard because you have to show forgiveness to me or you, hey, in, in the end of the day, we're all on the same level. You're no better than me, so I don't need to listen to you. If you have that attitude, God forgive you. That is a horrible attitude. Your attitude should be this. I'm so thankful that I get to work for a Christian boss. I'm so thankful. And I'm gonna tell you what, if you have a boss that's over you, I'm gonna work so hard that you look good before that boss. And if you're the one who owns this company, then I'm going to work so hard to make sure that all of your customers are satisfied, that you get the best reviews, that people want to come to this company more and more, and that you stand out above every other company. That is how I am going to treat you. That is how I am going to work for you. That is what the attitude that we as Christians should have. Now, I want to stop here for a second. I want to note that there are times when you will need to leave a job. There are times, okay? I do not want you to think that I'm saying, hey, shut up, suck it up, and just follow 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1, and stop complaining. There are times when you may have to quit a job because it is so oppressive. It's just day after day, the same thing, and they're just beating you down and you have to leave. 
Paul, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, he said this, were you a bondservant, that's the same word, when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. Let's bring it into the 21st century. If you need to quit, change jobs, then do it. You're under this employer. If you have an opportunity to get under a different employer, then do that. In other words, you can change your employment status. And I know this is in a different context, but even Jesus, when he was sending his followers out to preach the gospel, he said, there are times where you will come and they will be so hostile against you that you're just going to need to shake the dust off of your feet and go into another town. You're going to have to move on. You're going to have to move on. My encouragement to you, if you are in a situation like that, is before you quit, pray. Okay, I know that goes without saying, and I know that's what I'm supposed to say, you know, but before you quit, pray. Pray. Pray that God would show you, if you whether you're to stay or to leave that situation. If he's asking you to stay, stay, then it doesn't hurt to say, why, right? Why, God? Why do you want me to stay? Ask God uh, to work in that situation. Ask God to give you a good, God-glorifying attitude towards your boss so that you can show him or her all the honor that is due. Ask God to save your boss, right? To bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To that end, let me ask you this. Do you actually pray for your boss? Do you actually pray for your boss or your fellow employees? I know that a lot of times it's so easy to complain about them, right? But do we take the time to pray for them? Do we? Hear this, and I, I want to be very, very careful. I don't want to be insensitive at all. I don't want to minimize anyone's situation. But here, their salvation is more important than your temporary comfort. Okay? I, I, once again, I'm not, I just said that sometimes you need to leave a job, right? Sometimes you need to do that. But their salvation is far more important than your temporary comfort. Maybe God is asking you to endure with the hope that they may see and embrace Jesus one day. I'm going to tell you what, it would be worth it all in the end if that happened. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Will you take the time this week to pray for your employers, for those who are in positions of authority over you? Um, I hope that you will. I think Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 2 are very fitting. If you have your Bibles and you're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you can turn over one or two pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Um, here's what he says, and let me just paint the picture of where, where Paul is. Paul is not in a plush mansion. Uh, he's got these gold chariots outside of his house, right? He's getting back from this lavish vacation. That's not where he is. Paul is actually in prison. Um, and he knows that this is the end. He knows that within a couple of days or months or whatever, that the sword of execution is going to come down upon his neck and he is going to die. All right? And so in the midst of that, here's what he says. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And listen to this. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You hear that? Think about this. Your difficult boss may be one of the elect. They may be one of the people that are chosen by God for salvation. And are you willing to suffer so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven and obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? Are you willing to endure so that you can see them come to Christ? Once again, it is ultimately all about God and not about our comfort. So ask God a series of questions. I mean, just get real personal with God. Just get alone with him this week and just say this. Why have you placed me in the place where I am? Why am I in this current employment? Why am I here? Can you, can you tell me why I'm here? Ask him, what are you trying to do here in this place? Ask him, you know what I go through every day. How do you want me to respond when they do this? What should I say when they do this? And then ask, honestly, how can I honor my boss? I haven't been doing that. I've been complaining about her. I've been complaining about him. How can I show all honor to my boss? Let me do that Monday. Let me do that Tuesday. Let me do that throughout the whole week. If the situation is too much for you, then ask God, you know, can you provide a way out? Yeah, I'm suffering, God. I'm, I'm being beat down every day. Is there a way out? Can you show me? Can you open up a door that I can go through there? In the end, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see your employment as more than just a job, more than a means to just pay the bills. I want you to see your employment for what it really is. It is a sacred calling. Okay? It is a sacred calling. You need to get out of your mind the notion that only a pastor or someone in full-time ministry has a sacred calling. That is not true at all. Every single job for a Christian is a sacred calling. It is a sacred calling. Being a school teacher is a sacred calling. Being a doctor is a sacred calling. Being a lawyer, being a sales clerk, being someone who takes the money at a fast food counter. All of these are sacred callings. It doesn't matter what it is. And here's why they're all sacred callings. There are two main reasons. First of all, you as a Christian or even as a non-Christian, you are created in the image of God and created in the image of God means that you are created to work. I hope you realize that work was not a part of the fall. It wasn't like everything was going blissfully. They fell, they rebelled against God and God said, now you're going to work, right? That's not what happened. They were told even before the fall, they were placed in the garden and God said, work it. Till the ground, plant seeds, mine the minerals out of there, build things. It was work. Now I will say that the frustrations of the job, the hindrances to work are all part of the fall. The frustrations that you may have, the, the, the failures that you do at work, the mistakes that you make at work that cost the company maybe thousands or even millions of dollars uh, that, that maybe uh, you endangered someone's life, those are all a result of the fall. But work itself is not a part of the fall. And this is why, you know, this pandemic is so, uh, so serious and so damaging because one of the first things is that people were encouraged not to work. They were encouraged not to work. 
the government basically said, you stay at home and we'll give you money. And I guess that most of the government thought that people would be like, sweet, I can sit there and watch Netflix all day and make money. And that, but that what they discover is that people are like, keep your check. I want to work. I want to work. And this wasn't rebellion. This is because people were created to work. Whether they're Christian or non-Christian, there's something satisfying about putting in a good day's work. And that's because that's how God created us. He created us to work. And so people were like, keep your check. I want to work. The second reason that I see every job for a Christian as a sacred calling is because we as Christians know that God is working all things to get together for the good of those who love him. Okay? To those who are already his people and to those who will become his people through those who are already his people. Right? God is working, if I have an unbelieving boss, God may be working their good through me because they are his chosen uh, person and I am the one that God is going to bring the message of salvation through to them. So if you're at UTMB or Ball High School or American National or McDonald's or wherever else, it is because God has placed you there specifically. It is not an accident. God has placed you there and then surrounded you by all these people who are non-Christians, right? He placed you there and then he surrounded you by all these pagans, right? Why did he do that? He did that for a reason. And the question is, what will you do now? God has placed, it's like God just says here, I'm placing you here. Now go and glorify me. How will you glorify me today? What will you do today to magnify my name? How will you talk to the people? How will you think about your boss? Go glorify me. Or better yet, here's what he says. He places us there and says, now go make disciples, right? Go make disciples. See people come into my family and then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is a high and noble calling. Do you realize that you, as a Christian, are a child of the King of kings. That your boss actually one day will answer to your real boss, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a child of the king of kings. This is a very high and noble calling, but it's also a very scary calling, right? Because if you look at the Bible, God promises a lot of things, both positive and negative, right? Let's talk about some of the negatives. God said this, there is an enemy in the world that I will promise you, was come to kill, steal, and destroy. There, you'll be hated in the world, okay? This is what he told his disciples. They will seek to kill you, all right? And Jesus said also, he said, uh, in this world, oh yeah, one more thing, you'll have tribulation and trouble. That's what he said. That's things that he can guarantee will happen to us in this life. And so he warned us of this opposition, but he also made some very, very wonderful promises that we must as Christians cling to, right? Because we cannot do this on our own. I hope that you're not motivated by guilt today. I hope that that's not, and I hope that you're not thinking, I need to do better, right? I just need to try harder. Tomorrow I'm going to try harder. I will tell you right now, you cannot do this. You cannot show honor to your boss. It's against everything that you are. The, the world is pulling you away from that. You cannot do this. Is an impossible thing. 
And that's why we need to rely on God. I love the words of Jude in Jude, in Jude uh, verse 24. He says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is able to keep you from stumbling. God is able to empower you through that work situation. I want you to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, when he said this, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be, giving, will be given to you in that hour. Don't worry about what you're going to say to your boss. Don't worry about what you're going to say to fellow employees. I will tell you what to say. And then I love, love Jesus' words. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Isn't that what we want? Man, you don't know my work situation. There's so much, there's so much turmoil. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that awesome? It's going to be really, really difficult. They hate you. They hated me. They can't get to me anymore, so they're going to get to you, right? They're going to be, this is because of Jesus. You love Jesus, right? But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus also promised that he would never leave or forsake us. This life that we live in is a very difficult life. And I know that many of you are in very difficult work situations. And so as we close, here are a couple things that I want you to remember. First is this. Remember that you are created to work. You are created to work. Okay? The second thing is this. That although you have a physical employer, you still ultimately work for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your primary employer. He's the one who ultimately calls the shots. And according to this verse, he's telling you to submit to their authority. The third thing that I want you to remember is that even though you may receive no earthly reward, okay, you may not get the promotion. You may not get the recognition that you deserve. What you are doing as you submit to the rules of God, to the law of God, to the commands of God regarding this is you are storing up for yourself treasure in heaven, right? And this, this is, the, this is the final thing that I want you to remember, is that this life, this hard situation will one day pass. It will be over, right? God is not saying, hey, suck it up for eternity, right? He's saying it will be over and I will come and I will make all things new. And then, and that final day, what will we do? We will enter into the joy. We will enter into the rest of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will say, oh, I know it was hard, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Come, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. The only way that that can be said of you is if you're actually in the family of God. How do I get in the family of God? Well, the Bible is clear. It's by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by saying, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins justly deserve God's wrath. I know that if God sent me to hell forever, he would be just in doing that, but I don't want to do that. And I believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that I could not live. And that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he was punished by the Father for everything wrong I ever did. And when I believe on him, his perfect life is given to me. 
And so when the Father sees me, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, and he accounts that to me as righteousness, and he says, come into my family. If you do that, it doesn't matter how bad this life gets, your future will be glorious. I love what Paul says in Romans 8, for the sufferings of this present world cannot compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us one day. If you haven't done that, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Come talk to me. Uh, come talk to someone that uh, can uh, share that with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you for uh, the message of your word. Uh, it is a, a strong message. Lord, it's a difficult message. It's an impossible message. We'll just say that. We cannot do this tomorrow. We cannot do this this week unless you show up, unless you empower us. Help us to know that we are representing the King of Kings. Help us to live in such a way that others can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Don't let the enemy steal this message away. Uh, push it into our hearts. Change our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.